0: The reading is from Luke 17, starting at verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, Fire and sulphur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather.
1: Paul wrote a letter to a church in Philippi, uh, a prosperous, important Roman uh, city. It's the letter to the Philippians. And uh, we're working through it uh, and spending some time looking at various aspects of this letter. And uh, last week we were looking at uh, the aspect of God's, uh, God's call for us to live radically different lives... In the light of the love of Jesus to us. It's as though what Paul is saying uh, as he explains this to us. Is that you have come into contact. Into a deep knowledge of the love of Jesus. And because of that. Uh, because you understand how his life has been lived. Now you live different lives. Your attitude, your, your way of thinking, your way of approaching things needs to be so dramatically different from that which it was before and we didn't get anywhere near uh, as far through as I'd hoped we would get through. And so we're going to spend a little bit more time thinking about this and particularly thinking uh, of some of the words that we find from Philippians chapter 1, 9 to 11. And these particular words Uh, We want to just spend some time thinking of how we live different lives. How we live. Uh, We want to live lives shaped by eternity. Shaped by eternity. We see what Paul says here in in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. They're the verses that we want to look at. But we, we've got to start with a question, I think. I want to ask you just a really simple question. What drives your life? What drives your life? Now, I, I guess most of us would say that there are lots of different drivers to our lives. Lots of different things which which have a greater or lesser play in our lives. But But for all of us, I would say that there is... There is one attitude, one thought, one desire which which drives our thinking. Drives our our decision making. Our attitudes. And for, for many that changes depending on the situation that they find themselves in at a particular point in time in their lives. For example... You you might be in a situation right at this point in time where you are looking at uh, a serious uh, prospect in the future regarding your health. And so right at this point in time, the driver for you is inevitably and understandably in one sense. It is a drive towards... um, satisfying health needs keeping going maybe it is a driver to relationship or security or safety maybe at this point in time what you need more than anything else you feel is to be safe there are many different things which which drive our lives i was watching a a program very briefly only caught a few minutes of it Don't even know the name of it, but um, it was a program documentary on last night um, with Take That In. And there's been a huge kind of bit of news this past few months, hasn't there? Because Robbie Williams uh, has rejoined Take That. And they they were meeting in a recording studio and uh, they were sharing together and, you know, it was a bit of a let's open our hearts, boys, together and just be honest and And sharing, uh, you know, the past and what their attitudes were, etc. And Robbie was in the middle of it. And let's talk about how big our egos are and all of that kind of thing. And um, in walked Elton John, which was, uh, you know, as you do do if you take that, you know, Elton John just pops in. And uh, he he was talking to Robbie Williams and he looked across at him and he said, uh, He said, you're happy for the first time in years, aren't you? He said yeah he's been through a whole load of stuff on uh, abusing alcohol and drugs and all the rest of it and he's got himself clean and he's now with his bandmates again and he said you're happy for the first time in life uh, for a long time aren't you he nodded he said yeah he said Elton John said to him this is it this is it this is life is what he said thought to myself, wow, is that the kind of, the pinnacle, is that everything, is that all that life is about, this point, this opportunity to finally have satisfaction, to be clean uh, of, you know, issues which have haunted us for years, uh, and to finally find that place of peace, is that it? We've made it if we've found that. I, I think that's tragic. I think it's just tragic. It's, it's empty. Because the reality is, and you know the reality, I know the reality, is that just lasts for a few, a few years at best, doesn't it? it? It's slippery, that kind of satisfaction. It, there are other events in life, there are other possibilities that might come along and knock it. Uh, And so Paul wants to encourage this Philippine church, you need deep roots. I would say in the world that we live in today, in a world which is probably um, more than for maybe even the history of the world, maybe even the history of the world. The Western Western society is looking more and more for satisfaction, you know, self-satisfaction. We have got so much now. The reality was in years gone by, in centuries gone by, people lived to do what? They lived to survive, really. They lived to survive. People lived just to get food on the table, to get through life. And then there was the Industrial Revolution and there was a massive change in the way life was ordered in, in the West and, and, and all sorts of things changed and maybe there was more affluence growing through the Victorian time to the point now where the reality is we are incredibly prosperous and yet we are still looking for a purpose in life, a foundation, something that makes life worthwhile. And what Elton John said was, this is it. You know, it's about being at this point in life. You've got all the money that you could ever need. You've got, you've got yourself reconciled. You've got a group, group of guys around you. You're making music again. You've got a balanced life. You've got family life there. This is it. This is everything. It's tragic. I encourage you can can I suggest to you maybe you're in a situation maybe you're growing up uh, and you're beginning to come to terms with the opportunities in life Uh, and you you look ahead at life thinking the world is my oyster I can do whatever I want there are just opportunities all over the place what am I going to do to satisfy myself in life, can I just put a, a big sign up here and say, if you pursue that kind of life satisfaction, you will not be satisfied. <laughs> not deeply. There's an astonishing statistic. I think it's 85 or 87% of suicide is in the top 2% of prosperous prosperity. Well, you can't say earners, but, but people who with, with money. The top, t- the top uh, 2% of well, wealth possessors in the West. It, it's not satisfying. And Paul says, you need something deeper than this. Let's have a look at, at how he encourages them to live he says in verse 10 he says you've got to live life so that you may approve what is excellent we looked at that last week so that you may through god's word and through an understanding of jesus and and the impact of jesus you will begin to understand how you should understand what is excellent what is worthy what is worthwhile how to live my life he's my framework he's my model how did he live i'll live like that because that is how god has designed for me to live and i begin to change my attitudes and my decision making in the light of understanding that that's what approving what is excellent is and then be pure and blameless For the day of Christ. That little phrase, for the day of Christ, is critical. It is critical. What does that mean? He's saying to these uh, believers in this church almost 2,000 years ago, thereabouts. He's saying to this church, as he says to us today, you need to live, I need to live, With a mind, with an attitude, which is a thought, with a thought which is about Luke chapter seventeen that we just read. We need to live with a with a, a an idea, a continuous overshadowing. That there is going to come a day when everything that we see will be ended. When Jesus will return to this world. <laughs> now that is, that is radical, isn't it? You might be listening to that thinking, are you really serious? Do you really think that we should be considering a day when Jesus is going to return to this world? That is what Paul is saying here. That is what Jesus said, that there is a purpose to this. It makes sense. You might not accept it, but let me just run through the logic. If God created the world, then God sets in motion time. The Bible tells us that God has also determined for every one of us a time that we live. He has apportioned life for each one of us. Uh, And then it goes on to say that not only that, but the Father in heaven (coughs) has determined a time when it will end. Jesus said I've come into this world. Uh, and I will return again. That is the day of Christ. The day which will make sense. Of all of this world. The day which will bring a reconciliation. A kind of a. An understanding of everything that's gone on. A, a day when Jesus. Jesus will finally be seen to be the king who he is. The day of Christ. We, Paul is saying you need to live in the light of that day. It's not surprising he's saying you need to live in the light of that day because it's such a huge concept, isn't it? It's just massive. That we're living in a world which is, which is not just going to go on forever and forever and forever. Maybe slowly decline and decline. There's going to be a, that's it, Finished. That's it. It stops at this point in time because Jesus has just returned. That's what Paul is saying. Live in the life light in the, with the idea of that, that huge concept. What, what does it mean? It means that there is going to come a point where Jesus stands as the judge of the world. Where we begin to understand that This is not everything. That there is an eternity beyond. And the only way for that eternity to be a satisfactory eternity is for us to be blameless on that day. You see the connection there? You see the way he's writing it? He says, Live life so that you may be pure and blameless On that day it's critical that you're living life so that you will be pure and blameless on that day so that you will be acceptable on that day so that when that day comes Jesus who is the king will declare us as his. So that eternity beyond, eternal life, is the, is the overshadowing idea of how we live. That changes everything, doesn't it? it? It changes the way we face individual issues in life. It changes the way we think about particular <clears throat> problems or difficulties that we're facing at, the time, at this point in time. It changes, if we are really embracing the idea of that, it changes the way we approach that horrific news medically. It, it, this is it. This is, this is the point at which we hear the most desperate news that we could hear. If there is an idea of something eternal, if there is the idea of something beyond this life, which is? Doesn't that change the way we can deal with these few years now? Doesn't it change the way we can handle um, the problems of relationships? Doesn't it change the way we uh, come to terms with the disappointments and the sadness And doesn't it tell us we will never find satisfaction in these things now because there is a greater satisfaction which is eternal? Where is it found? In Christ. In Jesus himself. The Bible tells us that, you know, we know that. We know that in our hearts. We know that there is something eternal. We know that there is something beyond this life. We just we just know it. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity into man's hearts. I, I don't know whether I, I don't know where all of you are in terms of your understanding, your belief in God, or whatever it might be. But I think all of us know, don't we, that, that there's got to be some sort of justice outside of justice in this world. We we instinctively, you know, even if we don't, even if we don't uh, believe in God, we want to say, for the worst situation, for the worst um, offenders. We want to say something along the lines of, well, he'll get his comeuppance, or she'll get her comeuppance. We want to say that, don't we? We want to say that there's got to be some sort of reconciliation. We cannot come to terms with the idea that somehow we get off free. We, We cannot come to terms with that. We want to think that. That's because God has put eternity in our hearts. It's because God has shaped our thinking, our attitudes, our minds, our, 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 our ideas. So that when we see things, we think beyond this life. We just naturally do. The question is... What do we believe about what is beyond this life? That's the, that's the issue. And Jesus says, there is going to come a day, let me explain what is beyond that, this life. It is my day which determines how you will spend eternity. And you need to be blameless on that day. And it's only found in me. I was thinking about this in conversation during this past week. We all think about that idea, don't we, about, you know, we want somebody to get their comeuppance. There are some t- horrific things go on in this world. And it seems as though the perpetrators just, they, you know, they they do a runner to another part of the world. They live the life of Riley. And, you know, they they live out and have a great... Life, they die, and, and there's never any kind of reconciliation, never, never any justice. We, we don't want that. But equally, I would say, I don't think many of us really, unless Jesus is working in our hearts, come to terms with the fact that we have issues. We have problems which means that we by nature are not ready for that day either i know it deep down i know that there are attitudes in my life i you know i've never p- picked up a, a gun and shot somebody but i know that i've hated at times haven't you I also know, and this was startling to me, I also know in a different set of circumstances, I have the potential to do the most outrageous things. One of the boys, when they were younger, they were doing history at school, and um, they were doing about the Holocaust. And there was a, a picture, black and white print, of uh, just a horrific picture, ma- uh, women and children being taken off a train and shot uh, on, the, on the way from or to one of the concentration camps. And uh, it just hit me. Here's this soldier, German soldier, sat on the edge of the trench, smoking his cigarette with a gun in his hand, and his job was to dispatch them. What really hit me was that in a different set of circumstances, that could be me. He was just an ordinary guy. I I don't know whether that shocks you, that I'm saying it could could be me. I'm being honest there, it could be me. And I think it could be any one of us. Maybe not that specific but another set of circumstances puts us in a place. We are all capable of the most horrendous things. And therefore, we need to listen to this. We are living lives with veneers over our, our, our attitudes and our thoughts. Which we're saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But it's not. We are blameless. And when the day of Christ comes, none of us will be found accept, acceptable in his sight On our own. (laughs) Therefore, we need to find what? We need to be filled with something, Paul says. A righteousness, a goodness, which is not found in ourselves. We need to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that comes through Jesus Christ, a righteousness, a goodness, an acceptability before God which comes through Jesus. He is the conduit. He is the means. He is the the way in which we are acceptable before God on that day. That's what the message of the Bible is all about. It's about living in the life Living our lives now with a view of eternity and knowing that we're not ready for eternity. And therefore I need desperately a righteousness which I can't muster up myself. I need a righteousness. I need to be acceptable before God. And that acceptability needs to be provided to me from somewhere else. And it can only come from somebody else who hasn't got their own problems. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that means that no matter how good you are, I cannot come to you and say, can I have a bit of your goodness for that day? Uh, no matter how good you think I am, don't believe it. I know the truth, but no matter how good you think I am. You cannot come to me and say, can I have a bit of your goodness for that day? Because none of it is good enough. It needs to be given to us by one who has a boundless store of goodness and acceptability and perfection and righteousness, as the Bible calls it. Perfectness. It comes from Jesus It's described by Martin Luther as the great exchange, he said. This is the great exchange that takes place at the cross. He takes my unrighteousness and gives me his righteousness. He is the only one who can do it because he is the only one who has a boundless store of perfect righteousness. That can be given and given and given and given. Isn't that amazing? How many people have come to faith in Jesus since he walked this earth? More than we could count. But it hasn't even begun to drain the resource of Jesus's perfection and goodness and righteousness. Isn't that amazing? I need bucket loads of his righteousness. But it doesn't scratch the surface. This room needs an ocean full of Jesus' righteousness, His perfection, His goodness. But it doesn't even come close to marking His boundless store of perfection. Isn't that amazing? That's why that great exchange... That Martin Luther says takes place at the cross is so incredible because no matter how often we go back and we say I've I've messed up again, he says, my cross is sufficient. My righteousness is sufficient for you. You can draw again. You can draw. You can draw. You can draw, and you will never drain me. Isn't that amazing? You'll never drain me. In fact, the more you come back to me, the more you keep on coming back to me, the more you realize you have to keep coming back to me and you'll never drain me, the more the final phrase of these verses is satisfied, the more we see that all of the glory and all of the praise is to God. Because no matter how often you come back, it'll never get drained it? Doesn't that make us look at Jesus and think, I just don't know what words to use. Praise, glory, majesty, incredible, out of this world, majestic, dramatic. I, I can't think of the words to describe a Jesus who I can keep going back to and going back to. But I know this, I know that no matter how often I go back to him, I realize that his love and his perfection is effective for me. Every single time it's effective. That makes him look great. That's called glory and praise. It makes him look great. That's what glory and praise is. It's, it's hard, isn't it, to come to terms with these words. What does glory and praise mean? It means that Jesus looks so completely different to me. Just, just out of this world different. That I look at him and I think, praise him. Because I don't even, I'm not even on the same page, even though he is God in human form. He looks majestic. He looks majestic. He looks, he's worthy of praise. He looks different to me because every single one of us, everybody in the whole world who comes to Him and says, I'm weary. I'm burdened. I am desperately in need. He says yes. Yes. I'll give you rest. You know what? We've all, we've all got a, a limited amount of resource, haven't we? We can only give so much to a certain number of people. You know, if everybody came to us and said, I need a bit of you, I need a bit of you, I need some of your time, I need some of your emotional resource, I'm burdened, will you help me? Please help me. If, if everybody in this room did that to you, you would collapse But Jesus says no matter how many people come to me and say I'm weary and burdened, he'll say I can give you rest. No matter how many. Doesn't that make him look majestic and glorious? That's what will be realized on the day of Christ. You know the final thing that will be realized? There's going to be more people than we can ever imagine on that day. More than we can even conceive of. Who will be looking at this event happening. More people than we can ever dream existed. And they'll be looking on. And and Christ, Jesus, will be at the very center of this. And He will be judging this. And there will be people like me. Who will walk up to Him. And stand before him and he will say, welcome, come into my rest. And there will be people looking on. And they'll say, that guy, I know him. I know what he's really like. How come he got in there? And then it, it'll go off in their minds. A realization. How he got in there was because of that Christ. And the worst, the most obnoxious, the most sinful who has come to Jesus Christ and has been received into that family which brings eternal hope, eternal life. No matter how bad it's been, on that day, On that day, people will realize again and again and again and again and again, they're in there because of him. Doesn't that make him look great? Doesn't that make him look glorious? Doesn't that make us want to praise him? Because we don't deserve it and yet he secured it we don't deserve it and yet he achieved it we can't make it yet he made it he gave so that we might receive and all of us will be there thinking i am now going to spend eternity i can't even think what eternity means can you it's more than it's more than 10,000 years. I'm going to spend forever. Understanding what this Jesus is like. It will be like trying to move the Pacific with a teaspoon. Every time you take a spoonful out and put it on the beach. It somehow drifts back in there. And I'll get another teaspoon. And I'll just keep going back and going back. But I will never exhaust. The majesty. Of understanding how amazing He is. We need to live life with that on our minds day by day. We need to live life with the idea of eternity on our minds. Because, quite frankly, everything else is tiny. Just tiny nothing temporary passing wasteful I want to live life for a house I want to live life for this person I want to live life to be successful I want to live life to do something in this world there are lots of good things. Don't get me wrong. Well, are loads of good things, but there are no eternal things. There's only Christ who is eternal. And there is only Christ who can secure eternity for us. Blameless people. Blame worthy people become blameless people because of him.